1: In first
2: cut.
1: Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman. It is U.S. Open week. We are breaking down the DFS board and joining me to do just that, see you Najad,
2: see you. Very happy. Welcome. Thank you very much. You know, I was telling you, you might be able to tell in my voice that I wasn't feeling too well this weekend coming in, but you know what made me feel better, Rick? Um, tell me doing research on the us open getting on rickrungood.com and checking out and actually i was doing some fantasy football research to a little cross promotion i do the fftdfs show as well and uh we got a good guest coming on tomorrow but the point is it's that it's that cbs sports it's the rickrungood.com it's the sports research that actually beat western medicine in terms of making me feel better true story fantasy football i've heard of that people enjoy that don't they yeah, it's kind of a thing. You know, it's not like as big as golf, right. but, you know, it's getting there. It's it's the little engine that could.
1: All right, well, I'm rooting for fantasy football. Maybe in a couple of years they'll be able to compete with fantasy golf. But, see, we've got a big one this week. Last week felt big, but this is actually a major championship. We're going to Brookline, Massachusetts, and we're going to the country club. Let's just start with the field because it's a major championship field, and we are not getting – The guys – well, we are getting the guys from the Live Golf Tour playing. They've they've not been banned in any way. They've not been uninvited in any way. So this is – even though we're
2: kind of seeing a a different tour break off here – a major championship brings them all back together yeah you wonder now that you contextualize it like that if this is sort of the the beginning of the end if you will of uh, you know I'm not saying of any tour I'm just saying of everybody sort of competing in the same space because who knows a year from now when we're talking about the US Open maybe there's a, a group of these guys that just simply aren't allowed to play or maybe they're still in, you know engrossed in a legal battle which I assume is coming uh, from both directions so yeah it, it's really interesting i think we need to maybe kind of take a look at this and 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 maybe this is this is maybe a -a one-of-a-kind thing at least as it relates to the future Mm, interesting i hadn't really considered that yeah this this
1: could be one of the few times left i don't know we have no idea what's gonna happen but Uh, We know for this week that everybody will be here. Uh, Producer Troy, if you could share my screen, that'd be excellent. I will show you visuals and data from my website, rickrungood.com. And see, I did something different this week. So this is, looks the same course key stats model where normally I would go back and I would look at all the past history for a specific golf course for every player, find the types of golfers that have success, but we haven't played at the country club really I mean, we 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 had the Ryder Cup here in 1999. Uh, it, it just hasn't been played. There's not enough data to actually do this. So what I did for the first time ever was I used a lot of key indicators for other USGA setups. I used a lot of key indicators for what we think is going to happen uh, and the way that the country club is going to play. And I was able to calculate
2: what I believe to be the most correlated stats. I, I couldn't go all week without having something no, I hear you on that. you of all people you, you got you gotta have something and and you know, looking at this chart or looking kind of at both sets of charts that we see here. I I would agree with most of it. I mean, I I definitely think around the green and off the tee is going to shape how a lot of these players finish. If you're good in those areas, you're probably going to be pretty good in this tournament. So obviously approach is going to come into play. That's huge. It always is. But I think off the tee, I mean, Rick, I I think you probably agree that this one, when it comes to off the tee, that maybe accuracy is a little bit more important because the rough is probably going to be a little bit more penal than most places. And that's just like like standard U.S. Open stuff too, right?
1: Yeah, we have to kind of look at this through two different lenses. There's the lens of what is the country club? That's one side of it. Then, also through the lens of what the USGA is going to do to it. And the latter, the USGA has been fairly consistent over the years that they are going to be narrow fairways and thick rough. I imagine we are going to get exactly that, where if you are not playing out of the short grass, um, you know, maybe it's a half a stroke penalty or a quarter stroke penalty just because it is that difficult to extract your ball from. The rough and there's kind of different levels of of rough. There's fescue in some spots. It's not like Winged Foot where everything is the same length. Now that's the USGA side of it. The Country Club side of it, see, is these really small greens, second smallest greens in major championship history, and and the I'm going to use the word rough. But like, I don't mean it in terms of fairway or tee boxes or rough. I mean it like it's not smooth around these screens. And there's just – you know, some grass is higher than others. And sometimes, sometimes it's a little bit wispy and, and sometimes it's going to get hung up as it rolls into the bunker. And sometimes it's going to go down into the, like it's just going to be a little bit random. And that's kind of the nature of a new England golf course that is, you know, over a hundred years old. Like that's what you would expect. So the paths I think are, um, you know, be an elite ball striker or
2: have an elite short game. Yeah, and I think the emphasis should probably be on that elite short game because, you, you know, you just ca- kind of laid it out why this course is going to be very tough, why you really have to like plan your shots and navigate each hole. But add in the elements like the, You're likely going to get some, you know, some rain or some wind that's going to be included here. Even if you don't, it's going to be a hard course. But my, my point is, there is a lot to sort of I don't think people are going to be the greens and regulation percentage is going to be really low. Regardless. So I think you really need to be emphasizing around the green game and I think that makes people uncomfortable, especially when they're doing their modeling. They don't want to put you know a super big emphasis on that. But I can tell you that if you know with, with my models and I don't only look at models, but if you are a certain ranking outside like uh, of you know what I see fit like, let's say outside the top 70, in around the green play and all factor in sand saves as well. Uh, I may just exit out of my pool here. I, I really think it's that important. So um, that's definitely like the primary focus for me because I think it's going to be hard to hit the fairways. I think it's going to be hard to hit the greens in regulation. And so I know around the green game is really going to come into play.
1: To circle back to your uh, original point here, you know, there is – uh, again through the USGA lens lens this golf course is 7254 yards long that'll obviously fluctuate day in and day out but that's that's 500 yards shorter than Tory Pines. that's like 700 yards shorter than Aaron Hills this is not going to be one of those super bomb super bomber US Opens I don't think I still think it's going to play like a US Open I just think that maybe 10 or 12 more guys are capable of winning this C as opposed to like the 22
2: that could have possibly won this at Aaron Hills. I totally agree. I mean, I, there's definitely going to be an advantage to some bombers who navigate the course differently because of their length. Obviously, you're bringing a lot of danger into play when you're doing that, but uh, like the Scotty Schefflers of the world and the John Roms, like they're going to be able to do things that some of those other guys that we're kind of referencing can't do. But at the end of the day, you're right. This does, it, it is different in, from a length standpoint. It, it does bring a few more people into play that you would otherwise be like, well, they might be good for a top 40, but the, this they're not top 10 material. They're not top 15 material. Okay, well, let's not waste any more time. Let's get
1: into the cheat sheet. We'll go through who those top 10 materials might be. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at hyundaiusa.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive.
1: And we're back. Here's the cheat sheet at rickrungood.com. And see ya. We will start where we always do that $10,000 range. Scotty Scheffler, the most expensive player on the slate, 11 3. Justin Thomas, 10 9. John Rom, 10 8. Roy McElroy, fresh off his victory in Canada, is 10 5. And we round it out with Cam Smith
2: and Colin Morikawa. How would
1: you like to start spending your dollars
2: up top? Let me start by just xing somebody out here. I just don't think I can bring myself to, to play Colin Morikawa. And I understand the game theory route there, and, and I haven't looked at his ownership. I'm, I'm assuming he's going to be like, you know, obviously lower than most of those guys in the 10K and above range. But, you know, what I saw at the Memorial, it, it just, you know, I know his approach numbers look decent there at the Memorial, but... Man, what I saw on Friday with the approach game in particular, I was kind of perplexed. I, I, I understand he was bad around the green and that's what really cost him. But there were other parts of his game that I feel like the stats aren't telling the full story necessarily. I, I, I just don't have any confidence that all of a sudden you're going to have a bounce back at the U.S. Open of all places. So he's a guy that I think I can just sort of X out right off the bat. Finished fifth at the
1: Masters, hasn't done much since. He doesn't have a top 25 in his five starts since. He continues to struggle with the putter, the short game, which I usually I usually think that Kyle Morikawa is, uh, especially out of the bunkers, quite a creative, very good short game player. The metrics aren't necessarily aligning with that at the moment, Sia, which does certainly, certainly offer
2: some concern. Yeah. So, you know, take if you're taking Colin out of the mix, it doesn't really help, right? Because you still got four guys to choose from. And, and I will say this pricing is obviously because it's a major, pricing is really fair. I think people will definitely come up here. I think Rory's going to be pretty popular. Um, I think Scotty's probably going to be pretty popular. Maybe, maybe JT. I think ROM will fall under those three just a little bit, mm-hmm. and which is part of the reason I actually like John ROM quite a bit. But the, look, before I get there, let me just point out that a lot of people will start with ba- more balanced builds. Because because they don't want to go to the 6K range. They want to kind of like deal with that 8K range, which is super rich in the 9K range. We'll get there. But, you know, these guys up top might be a little bit more underowned than people think. John Rom is so interesting to me because, okay, so we were really concerned about the around the green game over the last like three or four months well that's clearly like bounced back to a pretty large degree looking at it now on YouTube I mean he's gained what is that you know three out of five and, and two of those are in a pretty significant way so I'm not as concerned there you know it is a little concerning that you know he's lost some strokes off the tee on approach but he's John Rom, and if he's going to be like five percent lower than let's say your Justin Thomas's of the world or even your Rory McIlroy's I think it's time I think it's time to quote be a touch early on John Rom. so he's probably my favorite in in this range
1: Yeah, I think the the two guys that I think fly under the radar are Rahm and and Camp Smith here. So John Rahm, uh, you you nailed it, Sia. When he switched to the Callaway sticks, he struggled with the short game stuff out of the gate. Um, And it it honestly stopped him from winning some golf tournaments. Well, he's he's fixed that. And he loses two strokes off the tee at the Memorial, which, by the way, snapped like a 40-event streak in which he gained strokes off the tee. Very unlikely for that to happen again. And he still finished T10 despite losing two strokes off the tee. So, so very little concerns around around John Rahm. Cam Smith is another interesting one, Sia, because um, if you remember, this finish from last week, T48, that was all on Thursday. He was six over on Thursday, did not make a single birdie. Over the final three rounds of that event, he had the eighth best score. If you just play the final three days and when you start to look at the other metrics and you know the short game and you know how well-rounded he is, I do worry that he can spray it off the tee. But like I think those two, as we get later in the week and start to see what the ownership is going to look like, I think they might be some interesting pivots.
2: Yeah, Cam Smith is interesting. I, I mean, I do think as much as he sprays it, you will have some holes. I think where guys like Cam Smith or guys like everyone really will be clubbing down and just play it, play certain holes more positionally. With that said, I'm still like pretty worried about him spraying it. I, I just, I think there's other guys to go to here. But I, I will say this: I just got done giving like a dissertation on how much I like around the green game, so it's kind of silly for me to all of a sudden be like, oh, I don't like Cam Smith. But I'll say this: there's a lot of guys that will go through that I really like their short game including Cam Smith, but but are better in terms of hitting fairways, a little bit more consistent off the tee. So I think Cam Smith is probably out for me unless his ownership is so low, ownership percentage is so low that I, I just feel compelled to play him. So, we assume Roy McElroy,
1: $10,500 with the pricing coming out before his win at the RBC Canadian, going to be very, very popular. Yes. Justin Thomas as well, see it, 10009 And then Scotty Scheffler gets slotted somewhere.
2: In yeah. Game. So, I think I think it's going to play out like this. I and mean, this is partly because of the, the pricing that we see. I mean, obviously, Rory McElroy and Justin Thomas are a slight deal off of Scotty Scheffler, but I think Roy's going to be the most popular in this range. I think JT is going to be second. And I think. Scotty and Ron. Well, I think Scotty's going to be third and Ron's going to be fourth. And then you're going to have cam Smith and Colin under that. So I think Scotty is probably my next favorite guy. Um, he's 11,300. People generally aren't going to want to play that, especially recency bias. You know, you got Rory, how he did and Scotty, how he did last week. And, you know, Scotty hasn't been as on fire as he was, you know, three months ago. And there's obviously some prisoner of the moment stuff going on there. So I think Scotty at 11,300, I guess my favorite two here are Scotty and John Rom. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think the order that you laid out in terms of projected
1: ownership makes uh, makes a ton of sense and I and I imagine that's kind of what we're vibing towards. At least here early in the week sometimes with major championships and the pricing coming out so early, ownership becomes uh, starts to become very aware of itself as we get closer and closer, but I like the way that you have framed it early in the week. The 9000 Dollar range: Victor Hovland, Xander Schauffele, Jordan Spieth, Dustin Johnson, Wills Zalatoris, and then we rounded out with Patrick Cantlay, Hideki Matsuyama, and Shane Lowry. This is uh, this along with the eight K range is filled with great golfers. So we're gonna have to make some hard decisions here.
2: Yeah, this is a this is a good range with some interesting pivots. So I think Xander's going to be the most popular in this range, and he kind of has earned that. I know this is a different course, but his. U.S. Open history is actually kind of amazing. In spite of the fact that there's no win in there, it's like pretty amazing. Yeah, so here's
1: here's his US open stuff T5, T6, T3, fifth, T7, that's five straight top seven
2: finishes. And, and here's the thing. I'm sure some of those he was like a you know a sleeping giant and maybe kind of came back and improved from 15th to like sixth or something. But the, the, the reality is with those finishing positions, he was, I'm sure, I'm guessing in three out of those five, he was in position to win. And it probably came down to just a, a three-hole stretch where it just didn't work out for him or, or something. I can't remember every single one. But the point is, is when I see that type of finishing position. Like you may as well put a couple ones in there because like the margins between finishing third and first are, are just so small that, that I'm just going to give him credit for just being really elite on on these U.S. Open setups, if you will. So he's going to be the most popular. I don't mind him. I would probably prefer him in a, in a cash game setup as far as guys I want to play in tournaments. I think Jordan Spieth is really interesting at 9,500. I don't think he's going to be super high-owned. I don't think he's going to be super low-owned. I think the whole concept of, you know, we still kind of think Jordan's not super accurate off the tee, and he's not super accurate off the tee, but he's more accurate than he was. I do think he's such a good navigator of a golf course like this, and and I'd probably say I think he's maybe – I like him a little bit better than Cam Smith. His his short game is elite. Um, I think as far as a pivot is concerned, Probably Dustin Johnson is my guy here. I mean, if you want to look at last week, he didn't, he was in the top 10, but it wasn't anything great. But I'm not really worried about how anybody did last week. I don't think, you know, winning a golf tournament was on the forefront of DJ's mind. I think he is, I don't think he's underpriced, but I think he's a guy that could be there on Sunday afternoon and nobody would be surprised.
1: The, the speed stuff's really interesting because for the most, uh, for the most of the year, he's really struggled with the putter and now he's gained, in three of his last four, including five strokes that he gained at Mirfield Village the last time we saw him. He has been much more accurate off the tee. If you start looking through kind of some of the historic ownership numbers here and see, uh, just to kind of point out, because I, I was just on Xander Shoffley's page, and Xander just never gets below like 16%. Just never, right. just never ever does. It's, it's 16 up to 30. And Spieth is much more all over the place. And you can actually see where people don't want to play him. So 5% owned at Torrey Pines, 67 at the Genesis, 4.4% at the RBC Heritage, 134 at Mirfield Village. Those are basically like the smallest of amounts of ownership that that you kind of got in for for Spieth in the last year or so. Those are courses that are, are penal for wayward drives. However, he's been great. I mean, that win at the win at RBC Heritage, he won at four point four percent ownership. So I think I don't think perception is necessarily matching reality from backers and people who might invest in Jordan Speed.
2: oh, I totally agree. And in fact, you know, you you show that thirteen point four ownership percentage at the memorial. I suspect that's what his ownership is going to be. I mean, not to the decimal, but like it wouldn't shock me at all if it's right, you know, right at 13.4, 13 and a half percent. I think people are going to appreciate us around the green game, but they're going to want to play Xander or they're going to, going to want to go down to Will Zalatoris, Hideki, maybe, maybe Patrick Cantley. So I think Jordan, I don't think he gets squeezed out. So he's like 10 percent, but I think he's around 13 percent, which I, I think there's still good value in that number. I was also
1: um, I was also not arguing, but we were having a discussion with Kyle about this last night. Is... It was an
2: argument. Let's make it more salacious. It was an argument.
1: I don't think U.S. Open setups are, in general, all that great for Jordan Spieth. But this is not your super long standard U S open setup. And I think there's going to be a lot of creativity involved that looks especially around the greens more like an open championship. So I, I don't know. I think he is speed is most certainly the X factor this week. If he won it, I would not be surprised if he missed the cut. I don't think I would be surprised. I I believe he's the X factor.
2: Last 24 rounds, he's number one around the green. He's 10th off the tee. He's 15th on approach. Uh, The putter has has been giving him fits. But, you know, at fairways, he's he's about middle of the pack. Sand saves, by the way, in the top 10. So, I mean, he's checking almost every single box. And again, this is probably... Because of the, the the lack of length, at least relative to some U.S. Open setups, this is probably more a strategic course than people are giving it credit for. And if you want a strategic course, I think Jordan Spieth is probably your guy. Again, you can make the same argument about Cameron Smith, but actually between those two, I like Jordan Spieth a little bit better. But listen, if you wanted to just be a little contrarian and start a couple sprayers with you know your first two guys, if you want to start with Cam Smith and Jordan Spieth, you're going to be really different.
1: Uh, just to close the loop on Dustin Johnson, here's here's his, his profile uh, leading into this event. Eighth at the Live Golf London. Is that good or bad? You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to kind of decide... <laughs> if that's a good result for dj when he was clearly the best player in a 48 player
2: field or if i'm disappointed with that 8 place finish oh it's objectively bad i mean when you look at let's let's see oliver becker beat him adrian i don't know how to pronounce the last name um sam horsfield beat him uh, line. I love Yulon. I'm really sad that he went over to live. Uh, to be honest with you, but uh, Brandon Grace being him, obviously Charles Schwartzel. Um, it's bad, but then it, it's Dustin Johnson. Like, like I don't know how much he cared about that tournament. To be honest with you, and, and he's not the he's not the type of guy that a fire is going to be lit under him because of what he's seeing in the press and, and on the internet and things of that nature. But to the extent that is a thing for DJ how sweet would it be for him as understated as he is to just waltz right back to the PGA tour to the U S open, get an outright and then go right back to live without even saying anything. You know, you know how he's going to handle that. Right. Like, oh, it was a great win. He's not going to like, he's not going to do the, the Rory thing, which I loved by the way, he's just going to be understated and walk right back over and play the live term.
1: You know, what would be amazing is if the final three groups are some combination of Rory JT Spieth, Bryson, Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed. And we just get a full on like PGA versus Liv final three groups, battle this thing out to the death. How sick
2: we- of that? We, it's, it's like a team event all of a sudden, if that happens. I mean, here's the reality. I, I there, There's so much going on with this tournament that I think there's excitement or maybe just as much excitement sort of off the course as there is on. I know that sounds weird, but for me, it's not. I think this is a huge like sociological experiment in terms of how these players are going to handle things. I think it would be really cool to at least have one of these live guys like battling down the stretch. I'm talking like Sunday afternoon, they're, they're somewhere in the top three and they're within a couple strokes. I think the drama that that would create uh, just across the whole like golf world, I think would be really, really super interesting. Be good for clicks, I'll tell you that.
1: Our, our post-round recaps would be uh, hitting all-time highs if, if, if that happens. The bottom of this 9K range, Sia, is kind of fascinating because you get, you know, major... Major championship guy Will Zalatoris, Patrick Cantlay, who's kind of the opposite of that, Hideki Matsuyama, and Shane Lowry. Lowry's been phenomenal. I'm on the record as like I love his creativity. His short game is is the best. Like
2: all all good with
1: Shane Lowry. But like, how do you see the bottom of this range?
2: Yeah, I'm always gonna like Shane Lowry. It does give me a little bit of pause that he hasn't been good at U.S. Opens. I I just I just thought that was kind of a weird thing for him. Again, this is a slightly different setup, but something I think that is at least noteworthy. But at nine thousand, he's a he's a great value. Period. Um, Shane Lowry's been striking it really well. His his around the green game is is pretty great. His it's not great, it's good. Sand saves are great. Um, here's the thing about Hideki. I kind of want to play Hideki because I don't think he's going to be super high owned. But not I it. noticed. The betting market isn't like super respectful of him right now. He is in some markets, he's like right around, in some he's like 35 to 1, and some he's around 40 to 1. And I know at a prominent one, he is 40 to 1, and that's matched with Louis Ustazen and Sung J M. Now, I like both of those guys too, but I just think that's a little weird that he's not really getting respect in the betting market. He also never
1: really gets, he's never really that highly owned for DFS purposes. I mean, somewhere between 10 and 15%, sometimes will drop down to, to single digits. Uh, I
2: forgot the last time we saw him was the DQ because of the white. Well, app. I <laughs> wanted to I've ever seen. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. Like not to get like Sue revenge narrative on you, like too revenge narrative on you, but like, That is like a sort of like knowing Hideki, knowing the type of person he is, that is like a stain on his on his like a bigger stain on his record than it would be for the average person, in my opinion. Is there do you think there's something to him coming back and just being like really pissed and and wanting to excel even more than he normally would? I don't know. I hope so. I've never seen anything like that. I have no idea what happened
1: there. Um I don't know, man. I don't think he needs it. He's like, this is, uh, and I, I've said this plenty of times, uh, but I think a lot of people lump in the fact that they say like, oh, Hideki's a bad short game guy, which is not true. He he has historically been a poor putter. He has always been great around the greens, and he's actually been a much better putter in 2022. So I, I will continue to kind of go to bat here for Hideki and be like, he's, he's not being given the proper you know, kudos uh, that he should be based
2: on these advanced metrics that we're seeing. And let me just say something before I forget to say it. So you mentioned how, uh, like with Roy, for example, a lot of like this pricing came out before <laughs> before um, the tournament, the, the last tournament ended. It, it's it's pretty wild to consider that a guy like Sungjae and Louie at 7,600 – are the same betting odds on a lot of sites as a guy like Hideki Matsuyama. I don't know if people want to factor that in. I mean, generally, I do. I don't know if they want to factor it in as it pertains to Hideki. But there's a lot of what I think people will perceive as misprices, especially when we get to this 8K and 7K range, which will create chalk, which will create natural pivots. So I just kind of wanted to point that out. Let me ask you before we leave this 9K range, are you playing Patrick Cantlay? Because he's going to be low-owned.
1: So I'm the cartoon character that just routinely steps on the rake, right? And it smacks <laughs> me in the face and I and I never learn. Uh so the answer to that is like right now, before like it's you know, it's Monday afternoon. I don't have a projected ownership number. Right now, I'm like, no, I'm not gonna play Patrick Callen. But I know when that turns to six percent or something like that, I, I will be in. I I just genuinely refuse to believe i i don't even know what what is the narrative that majors are too big for him well he's won the fedex cup and he's won playoff events and he's won everything else like i i refuse to believe that a major has him shaking in his boots and, I also
2: refuse to believe that.
1: And his game is so strong; it should be set up perfectly for major championships. So, uh, if I'm the idiot who steps on the rake over and over again, that's fine. But I, I know that as Thursday morning
2: comes around, Patrick Cantlay will be will be involved in my in my pool. He will 100% be below 10% because people are going to, going to want to play Lowry. They'll play a little bit of Decky. They'll play a lot of Will Zalatoris, Jordan Spieth, Xander Schauffele. Like, there's just not room for Patrick Cantley, especially with his track record um, at majors uh, to be played. So I think Cantley and DJ are some some pretty great pivots if you have the stones to to play him. All right, well, here,
1: here I go again, I suppose, with Patrick yeah. <laughs> uh, All right,
2: gents, uh,
1: let's move on. range, $7,000 range, 6Ks, find some value in this field. But first, we are going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners.
0: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all wheel drive and three row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back. $8,000 range. See, us still relatively small. The top of it, Joaquin Neiman, Cam Young, Brooks Kepka, Billy Horschel. The bottom half, Matt Fitzpatrick, Daniel Berger, Sam Burns, Tony Finau, and then we round it out with Max Homa and Terrell
2: Hatton. Ooh, there's a lot here. How would we like to start the 8K range? Uh, Tony Finau is another guy that if the tournament, if the pricing came out after the tournament was finished, he'd probably be what seven eight hundred higher. He's going to be super chalky. Let me just let me just point that out real quick. Go ahead.
1: Look at like in the same way that Rom plugged the leak, um, in the same way that Hideki has plugged a leak, Tony Finau has plugged a leak. He Mm -hmm. is no longer hemorrhaging strokes in the short game categories. He's actually gaining a ton, and he's still with the elite ball. Stri- I mean, this is I'm not a Tony Finau guy, and this is a
2: stat profile. I've bet him this week. So, it's its hard to ignore that. And you know, what's funny is I immediately look at putting, and I'm like, ah, yeah, but he gained 6.37 putting. But then I'm like, oh, well, look what he did off the tee and on approach. Like, he was just a beast across all metrics. It's pretty crazy. He
1: gained 18 strokes at the RBC Canadian, which is good enough to win, like, most events on the PGA Tour.
2: It's just yeah. that he gained 20. So sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Like 99% of tournaments, I'm yeah. guessing or something close to that. Uh, okay. So in this AK range, so I like Cameron Young. Uh, I, I'd, I'd be curious to see where his ownership ends up. I, I think it's going to be sort of in that middling, like 13, 14% range. I'm probably okay with that. Cam, Cameron Young is just a guy that's like a lot of these young guys, defying all odds. And when you look at the metrics, they're also really great off the tee, on approach, around the green. He's been really good, like a veteran. Uh, I like Billy Horschel as a contrarian play. There's so many good options in this 8K range that I'm quite certain Billy Horschel gets squeezed out here. And honestly, hes I, I kind of think of him as a big game hunter. He's in good form. The approach play isn't great. It never really has been even even in tournaments where he 's been successful, like approach has been a, a big thing, and he's he 's found a way to navigate around that or just pop on approach. The around the green game is great with him though, so I think he 's a good sort of game theory play. I think Fitzpatrick and Berger are going to be really popular. Uh-huh. I like them both. Um, I probably like Fitzpatrick more for cash. I like Berger more for tournaments because he'll have much less ownership than Fitzpatrick. If you recall, Rick, at the Memorial, I was really big on Daniel Berger, and that worked out to a T5. So um, I think his game is in good form. I don't think the putter is going to give him too much of a problem on this course. I think he'll he'll probably be an even putter, and that's going to be just fine for him. He'll keep it in the fairway. The approach game is strong. The around the green game is strong. So those are probably my favorite plays. I mentioned Finau. I probably won't play him, but in cash, I'll probably play him.
1: Yeah, I mean I've um so I, I enter this week with three future tickets that I've made in the last month or so. Uh two of them are in this range. One is Daniel Berger, one is Tony now I've disclosed those. The other's coming up, it's Patrick Reed. Um this 8K range is fascinating. You know, Cam Young, whose game you'd think would set up great for a US Open, um, you know, has missed the two cuts at the U.S. opens he's played at, which again, I'm I'm willing to forget all about that considering what I've seen from him this year and the fact that you don't usually get a bomber who has touch around the greens, which is exactly what Cam Young has. The uh, The biggest question that I have and the guy that I that I can't figure out is, is uh, Brooksy. Hey, Brooksy. He's got the obviously back-to-back wins here in what was that, 17 and 18, I think, right? 17,
2: 18, or 16, 17, 17, 18. I- yeah, I think it was 17, 18, which feels like literally a decade ago. Yeah, then say. he went, then he went runner up, then he went fourth, which is just like insane.
1: Um, but man, it's not it's not been great, right? Like what like I've got his profile up here, and it's a bunch of okay results. If you're Brooks Kepka, you don't want okay results. And I think maybe even more concerning, Sia, there's no trend to this right? Mm -hmm. Some weeks he's bad with the putter. Some weeks he's bad around the green. Some weeks he loses a ton with the driver or he can't find his approach play. This is a generally, if this wasn't Brooks Koepka at the U S open, this would be a very concerning stat profile.
2: You know, looking at this again on YouTube, we almost have to go like, we don't almost, we have to go back to June, 2021 to see any semblance of like really good ball striking on a consistent level. That was a long time ago. I mean, that was a year ago. And I just, again, I know he was dealing with the injury after that, and he's probably still dealing with the knee to some degree. But yeah, I don't see it. I mean, if you're trying to find leverage in this tournament, I don't think you have to go to Brooks Kepka. I'd rather go leverage in so many other, like like Billy Horschel, like uh, Dustin Johnson, perhaps, like some of these guys that are going to be low-owned in, uh, in the 7K range. So I just don't, unless you're entering like 150 lineups and you just want to throw a couple bones at Brooks, that's fine. But if you're in a three max or a cash game or a single entry, I just don't see the justification for playing Brooks Kepka at this point. This is, <laughs> I agree with you, but I will note that this is the,
1: cheapest major championship price on Brooks Kepka in my database, which is like four years worth of, of salaries. So if at least, at least you'd be buying at, at the cheapest, but I, I agree with the sentiment. I'm, I just, I don't think I'll get
2: there. Yeah. I mean, we, we said that the same thing, maybe three weeks ago about, about Matthew Wolf. Like some of these guys are just sinking ships and there's nothing to patch the hole. They are just are sinking ships and there's no reason to be early on them.
1: I love this range quite a bit. Um, you know, Sam Burns, who's been phenomenal. We already talked about Berger and Fitzpatrick and and Finao. Um Cam Young. I mean, Walkie. I love everybody. I love everybody in this range. Kepka, Kepka, and, and Billy Hortrail are probably just the odd man out for me. And Terrell Hatton, who um, you know, has has missed his last two cuts at the U.S. Open and hasn't played particularly great and probably is going to hate everything about the country club. Like I'll, I'll, I'll cross those three names out, but everybody else in this range, I think, I'm, I think I enjoy quite a bit.
2: Yeah. And we didn't even mention Max Homa who is, you know, again, when it comes to around the green game, he's probably not going to show up super positive in modeling, but as of late, the around the green game has actually been pretty good. And we know the ball striking has been good and we know he can get hot with the putter at 8,100. He's another guy like him and Tony Finau are, are two guys that I think present like really tremendous value. Yeah. And uh friend of the pod max home, we had him on and I love when this happens. He was, uh, I think we must've
1: had him on here ish where he was kind of just giving a bunch of well, was probably right for the masters. And he's just giving a bunch of strokes away around the green. And he was mm-hmm. saying like, yeah, we're working really hard on that. We know it's a weak part of our game and he's kind of fixed it, which is always kind of cool to see when like the narrative and the, mm-hmm. like, the stats line up. I, I think that's fun. <laughs> um, Joseph in the chat. Thank you for the reminder. I whiffed on this. So the all important fan voting link for the one and done, that link is in the description. You can go right now and cast your vote for the fans for who your one and done selection is going to be this week. The fans, you and I can commiserate with Terrell Hatton because uh, he got us both a zero. Last week. So hopefully we can both find someone better, but that link is in the description. We are going live. Uh, it'll be Tuesday morning at sh- like 1 p.m. Eastern time. That's when the voting will close. So make sure you get those votes in now.
2: Get all your stuff situated and we will rock and roll. I almost forgot about that. See, ya. <laughs> um, I've been trying to forget about it for the last like two and a half months. Uh, <laughs> unsuccessfully, we've been trying to forget. About <laughs> all right.
1: 7K range. It's like 40 golfers here, and actually, I'll have to check because I was waiting earlier for DraftKings to add the last like 10 or so guys into this field. Um, so there might end up being more than 40, but as of right now, 40 guys in this 7K range, and they are of all different statures. It, it starts with Bryson DeChambeau and Corey Connors. It goes all the way down to, let's see, Brian Harmon. Kevin Na, Luke list. So a lot to go through here. Uh, Let's start with a couple of names.
2: Yeah. So I'll give you a few names that are chalky, a few names that I think are good, like game theory pivots and, and one that's sort of in the middle. I think Corey Connors is the one that's going to be sort of in the middle. I think people are going to be impressed with what he did, by the way, it was kind of tilting. I think he made the cut on the number. I completely faded him last week and he just went completely nuclear on, on Sunday. Um, Same goes for Cam Smith. He was a full fade for me as well. And and I guess he didn't do much Saturday and Sunday now that I think about it. But I think Connors Sunday uh, is going to remind people that Connors is a pretty good player and that he's probably going to keep it in the fairway more than most. And he's probably going to hit more greens in regulation than most. So I think he's interesting at 7,900. Go ahead. hat tip Corey Connors who – so what, what was his win? 2019,
1: I think, where he Monday qualified and then and then won. I think that was 2019 Val, Valero. And he was like the captain of team no putt, right? Where he was losing over a half a stroke per round in 2019, over a half a stroke per round in 2020. 2021, he was like a dead even tour average putter. And this season, he's gaining nearly a quarter of a stroke. That is... And he's not really losing anywhere else. This is a beautiful combination. I wish he won more because he doesn't get the respect of, right. of just that one victory. But this is a stat profile of a guy who is about to pile up wins. I don't know if it's at a U.S. Open, but like that's the stat profile of a guy who's going to pile them up.
2: Right. And I think probably for the next two to three months, his, his uh, price tag is going to be a little lower than it should be. So I think, and in here, I think it, you know, I I think his price tag is fine here. I don't think he should be more than 7,900 considering who's in the 8K range, but you can make the argument. He, he should be. So I think Connors is a, is a pretty great play. Um, a couple really popular guys, one that is definitely mispriced is Sung J.M. I mean, obviously Sung J.M. should not be 7,600. I mean, he's going to rate out really well in almost everybody's models for good reason. The ball striking is great. Short game is good. Uh, the form he's coming in with good form with let's see T10 T15 14th T20 T21 8th that's just the last six tournaments um I think he's going to be the most popular guy on the slate is my guess another wow. guy that's going to be pretty popular is Mito Pereira at 7800 um, he has pretty much everything you want in in terms of this tournament a couple pivots that I think I like one is Louis I did mention him uh, he did play last week he was a T10 which really truly doesn't mean anything to me <laughs> we don't we definitely don't know what it means. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly which 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 means I'm just not going to factor it in. He got through four rounds or I should say three rounds. Yeah. So that tells me something. OK, you you know, you're healthy enough to get through 54 holes. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good pivot, though, because I don't think a lot of people will be on him for two reasons. One is that there's a lot of other guys to jump onto. Two, people haven't really seen him. And I'll add a third one. There is a, a, a live tour bias here. People aren't generally going to want to play most of these guys. So I think Louis's interesting, and I like Webb Simpson. We've talked about him a good amount lately. I don't yeah. think there's going to be any ownership on him, and I think he's been hitting the ball quite well lately. I think he's being overlooked. I don't think he can win the tournament, but at 7,400, can he top 15? I think so.
1: There, there are going to be some really low-owned top sevens coming out or top eights coming out of the the 7k range just mm-hmm. some of these guys like a web simpson who's starting to look a little bit more like himself i'm not saying he's like completely back to and he might never be like webs i don't know how old web is but he might never be that guy we saw in 2019 um and 2018 but but he's starting to look a lot better i i will say so I'm going to skip down a little bit further to to Kevin Na here, Sia, because you mentioned the the live golf bias, and I hate to say that I think this sets up pretty well for Kevin Na, who look at his last five measured events in the approach category: plus nine, plus four, plus six, plus three, plus seven. He still has the great short game. He he has to lose like just one stroke off the tee instead of four. If he loses four, it doesn't matter. But if he loses one. I think there's a pretty decent path for a guy who has uh, seemingly plenty of upside
2: yeah i i don't I don't disagree with that at all and he's not gonna have any ownership in my opinion for a lot of the reasons I just set out a couple minutes ago so I, I think Kevin awe is great. I think there's a lot of guys down there that are good um Davis Riley, a more popular option. Uh, what do you think of Justin Rose? I mean it's a little you know chasing yeah
1: I, I don't I always feel like that final round or like final weekend charge from some golfer. just it just lives in everybody's head and he gained a ton of strokes with the putter as you have to do to kind of shoot um, a 60 on Sunday with three bogeys on the card and three eagles on the card. And I don't know, man, I, I will give him credit that he's been better like since the PGA championship than he was before. I just think he's being held up with sticks and like, pebbles you know what i mean like i just i could see this all coming crashing down fairly fairly shortly
2: yeah no i get it and if he's getting any ownership as a result of what people saw then it's it's an easy pivot but uh i don't know i I think it's interesting i i I guess my question would be well what if he didn't shoot a 60 what if he shot like a 67 so he had like a pretty good tournament but it wasn't excellent at 7100 would you consider him
1: yeah, that's actually a really good point. I mean, like, let's just say he gained four strokes putting. So now he's so now his last, you know, five events were plus four, plus four, plus two, plus two, minus one and a half. That would feel less fluky. So maybe that's a good point. May, maybe I've actually the pendulum I've allowed the pendulum to swing too far uh, in my perception. Because if he just gained four strokes putting, I would be like, oh, that's pretty good. So yeah, I think yeah. you're I think you're right. I think I've overreacted to Justin Rose. Fair enough. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood, I think he's back. I think he's playing back like Tommy again, where he's got the the savvy little short game, and he's and he's kind of gaining uh, strokes across the board. You nailed Sung Jim, who I'm I'm quite excited about as well. So is so is everybody else. You know Davis Riley. So I, I do wonder, and I cannot wait for the ownership on Davis Riley, because if you start looking the last, oh boy, I bet you the last 24 rounds. Yeah. Last 24 rounds. It's Rory, Sam Burns, Justin Thomas, Davis Riley. That that's how good he's been over the last 24, but you always start to question these younger guys who lack major championship experience and, um, I I think I trust Davis Riley more than most, but I'm interested to see what the ownership or what the uh, industry does with him.
2: Yeah, I think he's going to, I think he's going to be right where you think he is. In other words, I think he's gonna end up being like 13, 12, 14 percent, something something in between twelve and fourteen percent. So not super popular, but popular enough where you know it'll raise an eyebrow. I gotta say though, I don't even know what to do with these young guys anymore. Because Rick, you could have said the same thing about Davis Riley three tournaments ago. In other words, like, yeah, you know, like at a certain point, these young guys are just not going to they're not going to stay this consistent. I mean, it's same thing with Mito, same thing with Cameron Young. Like, when does the bottom out, And the answer might be, it doesn't. I I, I genuinely don't know. I know it's 7,300. I'll, I'll tell you this about Davis Riley. In the betting market, he's 80 to one. So is Terrell Hatton. So is Keegan Bradley. So is Seamus Power. So are Taylor Gooch. Three of those guys are 7,500 and Terrell Hatton's 8,000. So he's getting respect in the betting market, not a, a tremendous amount of respect, but enough so that he probably is underpriced. Um, he's definitely worth considering if the ownership isn't too high.
1: This is Taylor Gooch's uh, stat profile that I'm showing right now, which is another guy that I have no idea what to do with, uh, finished ninth in London, which I think he was, that must've, that must've taken a Saturday charge because he was not in the mix for the vast majority of that event. T 27 at the Charles Schwab. I also wonder like, so when he played the Charles Schwab, uh, he knew he was going to live golf right? And it just hadn't come out yet. I I, want to go back and start looking at some of the results, the final results for those guys on the PGA Tour because I feel like a lot of them didn't play well probably because they knew this announcement was coming. And now I wonder if it's like, okay, I don't know. I can see it both ways. Hey, I'm coming back into enemy territory or... I got away with it. I made my money. I'm allowed to play the U.S. Open. I'm going to freewheel it now. There's no more surprises. Like,
2: I don't I don't know. It's so strange. Well, I think at least as it pertains to the U.S. Open, there's strength in numbers. If it was just Taylor Gooch coming back or just DJ or just Patrick Reed, name the player, Phil Mickelson, then I think it would be a little, like, nerve-wracking. I think it would be a little stressful. But there's a bunch of guys. It's not just, like, two or three guys. I mean, I, I, I didn't do the math. But especially if you go in that 6 and 7K range, I'm assuming maybe somebody knows the answer to this, it's probably like 15 to 16, maybe as close to 20 guys that are coming back. So I don't think it's going to bother most of these players. And to your point about Kevin Na, again, strokes gain narrative a little bit here, but I think he's he's a guy that would really be motivated by the disdain that he is likely to receive today forward.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, just in the 7K range alone, Bryson DeChambeau, Louis Oosthuizen, Taylor Gooch, um, Sergio Garcia, Patrick Reed who is someone who also might thrive in the villainous role who also see uh, I um I've been showing this throughout the week but I'll I'll just pull up his his profile here like Patrick Reed on small greens has been awesome in his career because his short game is so good right like when every it's 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 the Bizarro Bryson when Bryson won at winged foot, it's because everyone was playing out of the rough, and Bryson's the best out of the rough, and he was closer to the hole. If everyone is playing from greenside, the best short game guys are going to win.
2: Patrick Reed is still one of those best short game guys. Yeah, and while he's been pretty bad off the tee, like he, he does keep it in the fairway better than at least half the people in this tournament. And it hasn't been okay. This is a very low bar, but look at this stretch from the three
1: M Open last year to the Players Championship. He was hemorrhaging strokes off the tee. He hasn't been great, but it's been way better. He's a positive in his last,
2: I don't know, eight events. Yeah, that's night and day, and that's why. Again, if you're doing a model, and it's not distinguishing, like you know, you know. Let's put it this way. If you're doing a model and you want to do like 50 or 60 or whatever, however many rounds, you might want to click on like 24 too, just to get like a different perspective because that's that's night and day.
1: Yeah, really, really, really is.
2: Okay, anybody else in the 7K range before
1: I get us into the sixes?
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about two guys because, you know, I think I think one of these guys is going to be really popular. Brian Harmon at 7,000. I want to ask you about him. Who's another guy who's great with the short game, who will likely keep it in the fairway and maybe benefits from a slight lack of distance relative to other us open setups and Siwoo Kim at 7,000 as well. Um, I think you can go down to that Patrick Reed, 7,200 range, 7,000 range with these two guys and like really like round out your lineup. I think a lot of people will do that. I-, I wanted to get your opinion on those two guys.
1: Yeah. So I don't think people give, um, Siwoo Kim enough credit for kind of the upside and the, around the green play that he, that he, does have he's he's very savvy in, in, the, in the short game as as well as being a pretty darn good ball striker he's just a very volatile guy right he's just mm-hmm. he's gonna be all over the place um so if you want that that's great harman is much more of a consistent high floor guy where you can see he gains strokes across the board which is fairly rare in the seven thousand dollar range you know he has um And you know somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I I believe that runner-up finish at the U.S. Open was Aaron Hills, which is like played like eight thousand yards, right? That's not a spot that that Harmon should really contend at, and he did. I I do think this is in a larger scope of USGA setups probably going to be one of the better. U S open setups.
2: Yeah. And for what it's worth, the U S open setups that you know, over the last four years that he's played, which, which maybe haven't been as good as this one for him, 19th, 38th, 36th and second, you brought up the runner up one. So yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's in pretty good form, you know, the, the last four tournaments, nine 34th missed cut 18th, and he's been good at U S opens and he's only 7,000. Now he's, he's probably going to carry some ownership. It wouldn't shock me if he's you know, 10, 11%, in which case maybe, I mean, that's not terrible, but maybe i just go with like a CWU or something. But I think Harmon's really interesting from a value standpoint.
1: The $6,000 range. There are a handful of, you know, kind of PGA tour pros that we see on a weekly basis. And then all of the qualifiers see us. So remember, you know, this is open qualifying and, uh, I believe 66 golfers in this field qualified in over like almost half the field came through open qualifying. So you're seeing a lot of names that you don't recognize. You're going to see a lot of names that we don't have any statistics on. So let's start parsing through maybe some of the names that
2: we know, and then we can kind of work our way out from there. Yeah, this is, Really tough range, and here's the thing I I think the perception is that six for six is going to be really difficult here, but and it might be. But if you X out like a lot of these guys that you kind of know have no chance that like maybe five percent are going to emerge, I'm not talking about the whole 6k range, but you know, when you get to like 6,600 and below, like I I don't know what the percentage of those guys that are going to make the cut, but it's certainly low. So, something to consider. I don't know that I'd go below 7,000 unless I'm really just trying to like be different. A couple of names that jump out to me a little bit Kisner, maybe um, let's see Scott Stallings, Victor Perez, my God, Danny Lee is down there. Other than that, maybe Joel Dahman. Other than that, I'm just not really interested in any of these guys.
1: Um, it's very difficult. Let me, so I'm not a Francesco Molinari guy, but I, um, You know, you look at his recent finishes. He's got a 26th at the Memorial, which actually he faded. He was playing better than that. 17th at the Byron Nelson. He made the cut at the PGA. And then his last three U.S. Opens, he has three top 25s. When things get hard, um, I think it's better for Molinari. And also, again, kind of like Brian Harmon, this is – I'm not saying it's a great setup for him, but this is a better U.S. Open setup than most. Uh, A couple of these – kind of harder guys to figure out this, uh, Adri he's from Spain. He plays on, uh, the European tour. I can probably pull up his results. Actually. Let me just make sure here. Yeah. Okay. So again, a lot of DP world tour stuff made the cut to PGA championship. He finished T 16 at the Porsche European open. You can see he's got uh, a couple of, he had a stretch with, with four straight top tens. Again, I don't know how much you want to, to weigh this, See ya, right? Like, oh, he finished T8, the magical Kenya Open. Like, okay, like that's that's cool. That that earned him some bucks, but is this better than some of the other guys in the 6K range? I'd imagine it is. A lot of these guys don't have status anywhere.
2: Yeah, it's definitely better than most. I mean, this is I think this is a pretty good find, especially when you look at those Euro tournament finishes and then you look at what he did at the PGA championship. It wasn't fluky that in fact, looking at those numbers, if he was just like a decent putter, I mean that's a top 20 finish right there. So I don't know. That that that's a good one. I think I might have to include him in a couple lineups.
1: I also like that. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys that are playing in their first major championship, and and he's not right. So he's he finished thirtieth at the PGA Championship, as we mentioned. He played in the Olympics, right? So like, this is not a stage that's too big for him. The other one, and if you remember the days where um, Outlaw Tour was the only thing going on. and Jeremy Paul. Remember the twins? No way. They're in this tournament. Yannick is in the, is in the field. He qualified. Uh, And he's been playing. So I have his European Tour results. So that Porsche European Open, uh, which was last week, he finished T eighteen. A couple of weeks ago, he had a runner-up finish. He's also played on the Challenge Tour as well. At the end of last year, he was kind of destroying that with a bunch of top ten finishes. So he's just been playing good golf for two years, and he's been he's been leveling up. See it right? It's it's Outlaw Tour to Challenge Tour to DP World Tour. Like that's that that is showing me progression. Um, so I, I don't mind that either. He's
2: a, he's a very talented player. Um, I lost way too much money on the outlaw tour during the beginnings of COVID. And I loved every minute of it. I, the fact that we were able to play DFS golf during like the heart of COVID was an absolute blessing. Um, Bo Hosler, any, any love for him? I see your boy down here.
1: Yeah. So he hasn't played the U S open in a long time, but, um, I think he open qualified in. I don't think he got in on anything that he would have had to have open qualified, but look, I mean, his last four have been pretty good, right? He's yeah. got um, two top 25, Charles Schwab and Byron Nelson. He made the cut at the PGA. And then I think kind of fell apart on the weekend. And then he finished top 35 at the Memorial. The Memorial was like the fifth best field we've had this year co so like if you're looking for guys who played well at the memorial like that was a big boy event and Mm. of course is a major championship course and the field was super super strong so yeah i mean i think there are i think there's a couple of diamonds in the rough down here fair enough all right there are some some coal in the rough or whatever i don't
2: know yes some coal indeed Mm.
1: um okay this is the u.s open you are Sia Najad. Uh, do we
2: have any potential narratives that we would like to roll through here? We do. We got we got a few actually. Um, they were all early entries. I didn't even act, actually have to tweet anything out, and, and normally I would, but because pricing came out early, we just got some some volunteers here. So John Markowski, mm-hmm. uh, Spencer Aguiar at T Off Sports, who I do a show with Tuesday nights, by the way. Uh, he's a great analyst, um, and uh, Chris Bach. So where do you want to start, Rick?
1: Okay. Okay, I think I understand all of these, So, which is good. Let's start with the GOAT, John Markowski. So he has uh, seemingly opted into a Boston-based narrative, and he begins Mm -hmm. his lineup with Clam Chowder Smith. Clam Chowder. That's pretty good. Uh, Pat, you can't play better than Bird in the 86 finals. You have to say that. (laughs) Patrick can't, right? (laughs) Tony Fino-Ma over Jeter all day. No more Garcia, Par. Tony Fino. Yeah. Abe wicked smart answer on that test. <laughs> pick me up a six pack at nope. Pick me up a six at the pack. Keegan Bradley. I do not get that one.
2: Yeah, pick- I actually do. I actually don't either. Pick me. I'm assuming pick me pick me up a six is a thing in Boston or Massachusetts. Pack Keegan. I don't get that one.
1: Tom, it's a grinder, not a hoagie. That's pretty good. That line. He spent-
2: is 000, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty great. Wow. That's pretty good. Someone will have to
1: explain the Keegan one to me. Um, okay. Brian says, Packy is a place we get beer. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Packy. Again, Bradley. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. That's All right. That- you learn that- something new every day. That's definitely a Boston thing. Um, Okay, so Spencer goes bought team Boston Tea Party, which these are all seemingly traitors, defectors. Dustin That's Johnson, T. Right. Chambeau, Louis Eustace, and Kevin Knopf, Phil Mickelson, Taylor Gooch, leaves you 3700 bucks.
2: That's a solid one. I like so that. We got, we, got, we got some historical context there. The um, Boston Tea Party, when did that occur? I looked that up. December 16th, 1773, right before the American Revolution. or well, A few years before the American Revolution. 1773. Mm. Yes. I think that the Boston Tea Party spawned the phrase no taxation without representation as well, which also led to the American Revolution, ultimately.
1: I believe that. And then Chris goes with Strokes Gains' Annoyance, which I assume he just has the most annoying players here. Bryson DeChambeau, Billy Horschel, Phil Mickelson, Grayson Murray, Kevin Na, Patrick Reed. Did you see that uh, Kevin Na and Grayson Murray's lockers are right next to each other this week?
2: No. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. Prime, <laughs> prime. by the USGA. Thank you very much. You know, part of the reason I, I put um, Chris is in there, and Chris is a, a big supporter, he's always submitting uh, lineups, uh, strokes gain narrative lineups. But, and by the way, everybody, good job doing the strokes gain narrative uh, hashtag. Spencer, you, you yeah, got to do that, that next time. time. But um, other annoying players, though, real quick, like Sergio Garcia came to mind. Is, is he annoying? I mean, he's kind of annoying, right? No, not See, really.
1: See, I think there's kind of a difference between annoyance and just kind of being a jerk yeah fair enough like like bryson might be both although every interaction i've had with bryson he's been great but i i could see how he could be both of those things um i like i think jordan spieth is kind of annoying but i don't think he's a jerk like i think he's one of the nicest guys around i just think he's his personality
2: can be found quite annoying well, so that, there's a difference there, right? Because if you're his caddy, you would find it annoying. I think just being on the outside looking in, it's not as annoying as like somebody like Bryson where like everything he does, you're just kind of like, really, man? Like, really? Right.
1: Um, exactly. So I think it's kind of like like a little bit different of how you look at it. But th- these, are, these are definitely six guys that I think the general public finds annoying.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think it's a good lineup.
1: Uh, OK, see so anything else before we get out of here on this U.S. Open week?
2: No, I, I think I'm I'm on tomorrow with you, Rick. Um, we're going to do uh, I think I might be joining the mega preview. So I'm excited about that. We'll have some bets and, you know, some some fun stuff like that. But I'm looking forward to this. I think we got to I, I should say we should monitor the weather. We, you know, I know you do your show um Wednesdays and I know that's usually a, a topic that comes up, but there may be a weather advantage. We'll have to wait and see.
1: Yes, I've been monitoring the weather and it's been ever changing. So I'm going to continue to wait uh, and just see as we as we get closer, but certainly something to keep an eye on. Big thanks to producer Troy does all the hard work behind the scenes that right there is Cian Ajad. You can find him on Twitter at CNA Ajad. You can also find the link to fill out the fan vote for the one and done, which needs to be done basically right now. Go do it right now. Uh, in the description, that is available to you. And you can also tweet at me, at Rick Rungood. This has been The First Cut. We'll catch you next time.
2: It only takes
0: two minutes of sheer horror.
2: A new Paramount Plus original docu-series. We were dealing with a serial killer preying on elderly women. A cold-blooded killer hidden in plain sight. He suffocating people with pillows,
0: leaving corpses all over Texas. How did it happen? I was responsible for her. The guilt is immeasurable. They covered it up. Pillowcase murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus.